murders, rapes, assaults, and every other heinous act people commit. How are these crimes solved? And why do people commit these evil acts? I'm Jared Bradley, the host of the podcast, All Things Crime. And together with experts in every step of the investigative process, we explore how crime is solved. We launch new episodes every week. Subscribe now, wherever you listen to podcasts, to make sure you don't miss an episode of All Things Crime. You're listening to The Murder in My Family, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including Missing Persons, Scene of the Crime, DNA ID, Three Men and a Mystery, Zodiac Speaking, and All Things Crime. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the podcast, its host, or sponsors. If you would like to discuss the murder in your family on this podcast, please be sure to visit themurderinmyfamily.com for more information. You can support this podcast by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder in my family. This episode may contain unsettling material or subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Murder of My Family. I'm your host, Mike Morford. In this episode, we'll be discussing the violent murder of an 18-year-old girl at the hands of her live-in boyfriend. Her shocking death in a brutal act of domestic violence left her family shattered. We'll dive into this case after some quick housekeeping. Independent podcasts like this one depend on word of mouth to bring in new listeners. So if you find that you enjoy this show, Please take a minute to rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast, and be sure to introduce a friend to the show and invite them to listen. With your help, The Murder of My Family can continue to grow and reach a new audience. To learn more about the show or the cases we discuss, please visit themurderofmyfamily.com. You can also find us on Twitter with the handle at MurderMyFam, or by searching for The Murder of My Family podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support this show through a Patreon donation, it's always appreciated. And you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash the murder of my family. Benefits of supporting the show on Patreon include early access to ad free episodes of the show, plus bonus content not heard in regular episodes. Support may also include thank you cards, stickers, and more. If you prefer to, you can also support the show through a PayPal donation by visiting paypal.me forward slash the murder of my family. In each episode, I'll give shout-outs to any new supporters. And thank you to all the supporters that generously donate to help keep the show growing and improving. One last note. Please consider supporting any of the sponsors that you hear on The Murder of My Family, the way that those sponsors support the show. It's with our sponsor support that the show can go on and continue to provide a platform to share these stories with you in every episode. Thank you. And now on with the show. Rosalda Magdalena Barbosa Hernandez was born on February 15, 2000, in Safford, Arizona. She was described as an old soul who was wise beyond her years. 
Rosada loved to explore, and her friends remember her positivity. She had a chihuahua named Gizmo, who she had a special bond with, and she loved all animals. Rosada wanted to make the world a better place. Like many young people, she was happy to find love with her boyfriend, Joshua Hillier, and the two soon got an apartment together in Tucson, Arizona. Rosada was 18 and Joshua was 21. Unfortunately, the relationship soured, and Rosada planned to break off the relationship. It's unclear whether she had told anyone the extent of what their issues were, but knowing how things turned out, we can assume that Rosada knew she was in a bad situation. And as we've talked about before, the most dangerous time for a person in an abusive relationship is when they try to leave or end that relationship. Rosada's mother, April Barbosa, dropped her off at the apartment on May 6, 2018, so that her daughter could get her belongings from inside. Rosada was going to move back in with her parents. It wasn't long before she sent April a message on Facebook, asking for a ride. She explained that she and Hillier were fighting. This was around 12.50 p.m. When April arrived just minutes later, she knocked on the door, but no one answered it, and she didn't receive any more messages from Rosada. April had a bad feeling, but she didn't panic immediately. She thought maybe Rosada had left the apartment and would call from another location. But due to the circumstances, as time went on and none of Rosada's family heard from her, they began to get very worried. April called authorities around 1.30 p.m., but it took them quite a while to respond to the scene because it was a welfare check, not an emergency. Officers from the Tucson Police Department knocked on the door of the apartment, but no one answered, and they didn't feel they had enough cause to force entry into the apartment. The lease was only in Hillier's name, and not Rosada's, so with nothing more they could legally do, the officers left. But Rosada's family didn't give up. At around 5 p.m., April posted on Facebook, asking people to keep an eye out for her daughter. At 9 p.m., with no answers... Rosada's family was tired of waiting. They went to the apartment and broke a window and gained entry into the apartment. To their shock and horror, they found Rosada dead on the floor. She had been strangled and stabbed by Joshua Hillier, who had fled the scene. An investigation would reveal that a neighbor had actually seen Rosada try to leave, but she was pulled back inside the apartment by her hair. This neighbor didn't say anything or try to intervene. She didn't wake up her sleeping husband for help. But most importantly, this neighbor didn't call 911. Perhaps she was afraid or just didn't want to get involved. Maybe if she would have done something, anything, things would have turned out differently. While Rosada may not have been saved by police entering the apartment sooner since she was killed around three hours before they were ever called, if the neighbor had called 911 and reported a woman being dragged inside against her will, the whole response would have been different. Instead of being listed as a level 4 response, meaning there was no violence involved or expected, the police may have been able to force entry sooner. Joshua Hillier turned himself into the Tucson Police Department on May 8, 2018, after just two days on the run. He faced charges of first-degree murder, kidnapping, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, and robbery, and in the initial court appearance, he pled not guilty. After being replaced in the Pima County Jail on a $1 million bond, he eventually changed his mind and pled guilty to domestic violence-related second-degree murder 
and at age 23, he received the sentence of 20 years in prison. The sentence was of little comfort to Rosada's friends and family. Nothing could bring back the light that was extinguished from their lives. Rosada's mother, April, refused to let her anger take over and consume her. Instead, she founded the anti-violence nonprofit organization, Justice for Rosada, to promote anti-violence awareness, prevention, and advocacy, as well as raising funds to help domestic violence victims. This approach tries to ensure that the public knows the signs of domestic violence and that people know the red flags while they're dating. All of this allows Justice for Rosada to help victims with resources, funds, education, and support. April believes that the first step to ending all this unnecessary violence and suffering is to have a supportive community, which is why Justice for Rosada offers mentorship and mediation. They've also partnered with the Tucson Police Department in their community through outreach efforts and memorial marches. April's committed to doing all this positive work and helping others in the name of her daughter with the Justice for Rosada Foundation. If Rosada can help save lives today, tomorrow, or any time in the future, that would mean that she didn't die in vain, and her spirit lives on. I spoke with April about her daughter's tragic and senseless murder. That conversation is coming up in just a moment. Hey everyone, summer's in full swing and a lot of people want to get out and enjoy the sun. But for some of us, that's easier said than done. Because all too often, things that have been weighing on us keep us from doing everything that we want to do and living our best lives. But the good news is, there's help, and that help is better help. If there's something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, then BetterHelp Online Counseling just might be the right solution for you. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. And you can start communicating with a counselor in under 24 hours. This isn't self-help. It's professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor at any time. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp can assist you with so many things from sleep issues, stress, and family conflicts to help with relationships, anger issues, LGBT matters, and so much more. Anything you share is confidential, and while BetterHelp isn't a crisis line, it is convenient, professional, and affordable. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a healthier life today. As a listener of the Murder of My Family, you'll get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by visiting betterhelp.com family. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Once again, go to betterhelp, that's H-E-L-P dot family, and you'll save 10% on your first month of BetterHelp. Hey everyone, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Gainful. Right now, I think a lot of us are trying to get healthy, and there's nothing more personal than your health. So when it comes to finding the right nutrition supplements to meet your fitness goals, you need a personalized approach. Thankfully, now there's Gainful, the personalized nutrition system that's formulated for your body and goals. Gainful gives you peace of mind that your protein, hydration, and pre-workout supplements contain the finest ingredients, specifically for you. You can get started by taking the 5-Minute Gainful Quiz. Gainful considers your dietary needs, goals, and unique physiology to personalize your formula. Gainful delivers your supplements with no shipping charge every month, and you can cancel any time or adapt your plan as needed. All Gainful products are formulated by their on-staff registered dietitians and are backed by pro-level exercise science. 
scientists on their science advisory board. And every gainful customer gets complimentary one-on-one access to their registered dietitian, available anytime to answer your questions. And Gainful's rigorous quality control process ensures that your supplements only have clean ingredients that you can pronounce, along with zero artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners. I tried the strawberry lemonade hydration powder and the watermelon pre-workout, and they're both great. My goal was to stay hydrated and energized during my workout and after, and Gainful did the trick. Best of all, you can tailor the flavor of your proteins to suit your taste buds with a variety of delicious flavors like rich chocolate, Madagascar vanilla, and strawberry cream, just to name a few. Start your personalized fitness journey today with Gainful. To get $20 off your personalized supplements, go to Gainful.com slash murder. That's Gainful.com slash murder, and you'll get $20 off. Gainful, personalized nutrition made for your taste. Hi, April, and thank you for coming on today to discuss your daughter Rosada's case with us. Hey. I'm happy to have you on. I wish it was under different circumstances, but this case is important because like a lot of cases that we talk about on the show, um, there's an aspect of domestic violence, something that's too common, and, and we want to spread the word about that and try and help people if we can. There may be people listening that are in a similar situation, and maybe someone can take something away from this episode. And before we get into the tragic way that your daughter died, let's discuss, if we can, how she lived. If you would, can you tell us a little bit about the kind of person she was and maybe share some of your memories of her? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Rosado was just this amazing girl. She was confident. She smiled for everything. She loved to help people. She loved to help animals. When she was 17, um, our dogs got a hold of a, a butterfly, this huge butterfly, and it was hurt. And so she she saved it and she brought it inside and she tried to, to bring it back to health. She fixed its wing and she was like, she would give it... Um, sugar water and and she even put a flower in there and then on the third day it passed away and she was so hurt she made us have a funeral for the butterfly like a real funeral we had to pray and (laughs) everything and she was so hurt she's like I thought he was gonna live and it was just so sad and she she has um her dog her dog Gizmo was her world he was her son she said that she never wanted to have biological kids um, so Gizmo was her son and she, they would wear matching outfits and she would take him to get his nails done. And then she would like to the, to the vet and then they would go to the beauty salon and they would allow her to bring him in there because she said that that was their, their like bonding day. So the, so the beauty salon people knew that she would bring him in he would sit in her lap while she was getting her nails and her toenails done. And, and they were always matching and stuff. Um, she was very family oriented. She was, holidays were very important to her, especially Thanksgiving. That girl loved to eat. She was a little tiny thin person, but she would eat and eat and eat and eat. And eat. She was a hard worker. She started working when she was about sixteen, and and um, she towards the end of her life, she was uh, working at a Jack in the Box and she was only working there about two or three weeks when they offered her an overnight manager position because she was so, such a hard worker and so like detail oriented and loved her job so much. So she became a night manager and to her life was like a photo shoot. She had to go and take photos everywhere and, and just like 
document everything about her life, but not for social media. It was just for family. Like she would randomly grab our phones if we let them down and would take all these crazy, funny pictures of herself just to surprise us. She was so amazing. She loved to read. She loved to write. She was just just full of love and light and, and, and loved life and had this big, huge personality and this tiny little body and everybody that came across her remembered her forever because of just her smile and her personality and how she made them feel. It sounds like she's a real positive person and a real someone that we need more of in the world. Yes. Yes. Most definitely. Definitely. Uh, And you lost your daughter, what, over just over three years now in, in May, 2018. As a parent, how did you deal with that tragedy of losing a child? Oh, you know, I, in the beginning, um, at first it felt like a dream. It felt like this horrible nightmare that I just couldn't wake up from. And, and I had totally given up on life. I, I, the night that we found her like that, I went home and got into bed and didn't get out for months. I mean, I, if it wasn't for my husband, coming home and, and forcing me to eat, I probably would have starved to death during those first few months. It was just not, I just, it broke me completely. It broke me. And then, you know, I have two other children. One day my son comes into my room and he says, mom, I'm starting school again. He says, but it's okay. I got this. He was only 15 at the time and he shut the door. And, you know, during those months, I didn't even, it's, it's sad and horrible to say, but I'm, I'm honest about things. I didn't even think about my other children because I was so broken. And hearing his words and the way he said it, I thought, what am I doing? I'm not the only one in this house that's hurting. I'm not the only one that lost her. He lost her too. His sister lost her too. His dad lost her too. We, what am I doing? And that was the first time I got out of bed and, and actually lived myself instead of just surviving you know just thriving and and that's what I started to do was focus on on him and my other daughter and my husband and you know but it's it's a living hell it's a living hell losing a child I just every day there's a part of me that wishes for death so I can be with her but then I have that other part of me that knows that I have I have to live because I don't want to hurt my family I don't want to leave them behind I don't want to cause them any more pain but I'm, I'm one step in the afterlife with my child and, and the other foot is here with my living family. And it's, it's, it's a constant struggle, but I, I, I think it, the way I look at it is if I got out of bed that day, then, I, then, I'm, then I'm, I'm doing okay and I'm still going. And I, I think as a parent, I don't think anyone could fault you for sort of feeling that, that way, you know, and yeah. loving all your children equal the way you do, I think, you know, if you were in that situation with any one of them, you'd probably do it. I think that's a, a natural thing. So I don't think anyone would fault you for that. But it it is good to hear you look at the pauses that you still have other kids that are here that you're here for and to go on for them and, and have that strength. Let's go back to that day in May 2018. You were the one that found Rosada. Yeah. Can, can you talk about that day and, and sort of how it unfolded for you? Yeah, so um, Rosada had went to California the week before with 
my brother and um they came back a day early on may 5th they were supposed to come back on may 6th but they came back on may 5th because um it was her dog's birthday so she wanted to surprise him so she came back early she came here she was happy she was tired she had a long week and um we we had to take her to where her where that guy was working at um so she could get the key to their apartment so she could go in if she wanted to go see her dog and everything she, she lived in the apartment with him and her dog so we dropped her off at her apartment and a little while later she calls me she says hey mom she says gizmo isn't doing good and i said what's going on babe and she says mom there's there's poop all over the place he has no water he had no food the ac wasn't on and he's just not doing good and i said oh my gosh and she says yeah she says he he was neglecting him mom and i said oh my gosh i said well well stay calm i said that she i, I told her how to like cool gizmo down i asked her if, if she wanted to like what she wanted to do i said i know you're upset i said do you want to like call the cops and make a complaint against him for neglecting or abusing Gizmo or whatever happened. And she says, she says, right now I, I just need to take care of Gizmo. And I said, okay. So the day went on and she was taking care of Gizmo at her apartment. And then she says, mom, I, I want you to come pick me up. Uh, I'm moving out. I said, okay. So we went, we picked her up and um, she was carrying Gizmo out of the apartment and the guy was following right behind her. He gets in the car and he, he's telling me she she broke up with me. She left me. And I told him, I said, it's going to be okay. Just give give her some time and you guys can talk about it another day. It's going to be okay. We're all a team. We're all going to be okay. You guys, we're all going to be okay. You know, he was family, you know, so I want to make sure he, he knew that just because they broke up, he still had our support. So he left. He went back into the apartment and I said are you okay and her her voice sounded kind of weird and she said no we were arguing and I said um I said okay well you come to our house and, and move, move back in and we'll, we'll deal with it and she's like okay mom so she went we went back home and she went to bed and everything and the next morning she woke me and my husband up early I remember we, well she didn't wake us up we my husband opened the bedroom door and we were going out and she was coming out of her old bedroom and they gave each other a big hug in the hallway and he says so nice to have you here again it's like old times because she had moved out of our house like maybe three or four months before and so we followed her down the hallway and, and we were in the kitchen and I hugged her by the stove and like it was like this long squeeze just a different kind of hug and she says mom can you guys take me to my apartment so I can talk to him I want to leave on good terms and I want to get some stuff. And I said, okay, babe. And she said, I said, do you want to take Gizmo with you? And she says, no, mom, I want to leave him here. Cause I know if he's with you guys, he's going to be well, always going to be well taken care of. And I joked with her. I said, it's not. I said, why, why are you saying it like that? Are you running away from home? Are you running away? What's going on? And she just laughed. And, and um, I said, all right. I said, do you want us to go with you? And she says, no, mom, I'm an adult. I got this. I said, okay. And she's like, the house smells like poop. It's gross. It might make you sick. I said, do you want us to wait in, in the in the parking lot? She's like, no, it's hot. And I said, okay. I said, um, I was like, well, just 
let me know what's going on. He's like, all right. So we went, we dropped her off. And it was weird because for the first time, like we always would drop her off whenever we'd go places and drop her off at the house. She would always look back and give us this big smile and wave. But this time she just walked in like, she didn't look back, nothing. She just walked in with her head held high. And I, I picture in my mind right now, like, I don't know, it's just different. And so came home, um, I took a nap and then I messaged her around 1130 and I said, are you doing okay? And she says, yeah, we're still talking. And then, so I was like, okay. And then a little while later, at about 8, I think it was, I received a message from her. She didn't have phone service, but she was she was using Wi-Fi and messaging me on Facebook. And she said, come get me. And I said, okay. So me and my husband got in the car. It took about eight minutes to get there. I knocked on the door, and there was no answer. I listened against the window. I didn't hear nothing. So I messaged her, and I'm like, hey, where are you at? nothing i called him no answer kept messaging her and i said i'm going to give you 45 minutes and then i'm going to call the cops because this isn't what something that you know it, it wasn't what she would normally do she was the kind of person that like she was at disneyland constantly messaging me whenever she had wi-fi to tell me how she was doing i remember even telling her what are you doing you're at the best place in the world why are you messaging me and well so she wasn't responding and I couldn't hear anything in the apartment and you know I I had this weird feeling like I don't know it felt it started to feel like a dream and I called 911 and they said well maybe she went for a walk and I said no I don't I don't know why she would do that and they're like well we can't really do anything because she's an adult and it hasn't been 24 hours yet and I said well this is just not the norm I need I need somebody to help me and they said well we could do a wellness check and I said okay well if that's all you can do you know then I guess that's what I'm gonna have to deal with what kept banging on the door and we went and we searched everywhere we went driving around everywhere we went to where they were so we called people that they knew and nothing um so it was really hot because it was Maine it's in Arizona I had to get out of the heat. It was making me sick. So we went, we came home and I get a call from an unknown number and I answer it and it's an officer. And she says, well, we're doing the wellness check. We're here at the apartment. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to go over there. So we went over there and they basically did the same thing we did. Knock on the door, listened, and that was it. And they're like, okay, well, we, well, we don't, we can't do anything else. And I'm just like, okay. So I said, can you, I said, can you at least look at her picture? Like the officers didn't really take me serious. So I, I, I had to like show her my the picture, like basically push it at her. Like here, here's her picture. Please, if you see her, you know, now you know what she looks like. During this time, I had even um, posted on social media on this Tucson scanner group, a picture of my daughter and the guy and I said if anybody sees them please please let me know please look and you know people were commenting doing all these comments and I remember somebody said um why don't you just say make it sound more dangerous than what it was or something say he hasn't done or something and and then they'll break in well I didn't do any of that I just 
kept going with the flow, trying to find her. My family came over. We were looking everywhere, and it was already dark. And um, somebody had even brought me a chair to sit outside her front door. And I was just staring at the wall in the front door because I didn't know what to do. You know, I was like, what, where is she? What is going on? You know, there had never been um, a, a physical abuse in this relationship. He had always seemed like a really good guy. She was always happy. She did have issues with him not wanting to work and wanting to play his PlayStation all day long and making her do all the, the chores and things and take care of Gizmo and he wouldn't help. Um, but that was the only real complaint that she ever had about him. So I didn't, I, my thoughts never went to her being in danger by this guy. So um, I uh, was sitting there and then all of a sudden one of the neighbors who had been walking around that time, like most of the day had talked to me a few times, came up to me and says, I need to tell you something. Her husband was with her and he's like, just tell her. And I'm like, what, what, tell me what? And she says, I saw your daughter being dragged by her hair and kicked into your apartment by the guy um, this morning. And I said, what? Why, didn't, why didn't you tell me this? I said, did you call 911? And she says, no, my nieces were coming over. So I didn't want, I didn't want to call the cops. And I'm like, so I call 911 and I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe they can um, do something now that, um, that I have this information because that just changed the whole feeling of the situation for me. And I called and the, um, the operator was like, basically telling me, like, like thinking I was lying, I guess. She's like, well, let me talk to the neighbor. Why wouldn't they call 911? And I said, I don't know. Maybe she's slow. I don't know. And she's like, well, let me talk to the neighbor. And I said, you're, you're going to talk to the neighbor. I was like, okay, fine. So I let her talk to the neighbor. And she still was like, well, I don't know. They'll be there in like a few hours. And I said, you know what? I don't need you. I don't need your help anymore. I'm just going to do this myself. And I hung up. And um, my mom was coming. I remember seeing my mom walking on the the platform to the the apartment and she had a bar in her hands and I knew at that moment that we were going to go in and my mom broke the window and you know I remember thinking she can't go in I have to go in sorry I get all emotional I think I remember thinking I have to go in that's my daughter that's my daughter my husband was standing there and I'm like no I'm going in and um I went in and I yelled. I said, oh, she's here. And um, when he had murdered her, she was laying on the floor surrounded by blood. And, and um, I just, I kind of had a, I, I did what a mom would do. I ran up to my daughter and I hugged her and I put my face on her face. And I said, it's okay, baby, mama's here. My mind didn't let me process what I was seeing at that moment. And I kind of had an out-of-body experience. It was just so much. But that out-of-body experience helped my faith a lot. And I think I needed whatever that was. And then I, I could hear banging 
but it sounded so far away. And in that moment, it was just me and her. And, and I felt like we were the only ones there in existence. And then that banging brought me back. And I realized it was my husband kicking down the door. I heard a voice. I felt somebody touching me and they're saying, it's, it's, you have to let her go. Yes. You have to let her go. It's a crime scene now. Please, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was my brother-in-law. He had carried my husband out of the room. And he was trying to, to let get me to let go of my daughter. And I'm just like, I didn't want to. But then I looked towards the door and I seen my son's shoe coming. Like he was walking towards the door. And I thought, no, we can't see this. So that's when I got up and I ran out of the door and grabbed my son and I kind of, I lost my mind in that moment. I um, grabbed my son and I'm like, you can't see this. So I, I found a picture on my phone of the guy and my daughter and I dragged my son up and down the, the road of where everything happened and, and was ch- chasing people like, Hey, look, have you seen him? Have you seen him? Where is he? Where is he? And everybody was like, Oh my God, you know, this crazy lady just running around. Finally, um, I heard sirens. I, I think it was like 45 minutes later. And I heard, well, my son snapped me back to reality because I'm telling him, you need to calm down. It's okay. It's going to be okay. And he turns around and he says, mom, he says, you need to calm down. You need to calm down. And I'm thinking, what? And I'm like, oh my goodness, I do need to calm down. I'm the one dragging him all over the place, screaming at people, chasing people, making them look at these pictures. And, you know, and I'm finally like, okay, so we sat on this wall around the corner from, from the, the apartment complex. And we're just sitting there and we could hear the sirens coming. And we, it was just surreal. We watched as the fire department and, and the cop cars came and they, they closed off the road. And, and it felt like, like we weren't a part of it because we weren't over there anymore. And, and then all of a sudden my, my phone rings and I see it's my sister and I answer and she's like, where are you? Where are you? And I'm like, we're just sitting around the corner. But I was like in shock. I was in shock because it felt, it was just, but she, she thought that he had come and kidnapped me and my, my son and, and the cops, I guess everybody was looking for us and we were not even there because I ran away. But we went back and, and they asked us all these questions. I remember sitting in the in the car with the with the, the investigators and the detectives, and they were asking us all these questions. And and I'm like, did he do this? I said, are you are you sure it was him? What if it was a serial killer or something? What if what if um somebody did a bad drug deal and they they got the wrong apartment and they killed my daughter and they kidnapped him? I said, is he okay? What what you know? And, they're like no ma'am it's it's showing a you know i'm sure he did this and i'm just like no it couldn't be possible and i had all these explanations in my mind because no how could he do this he it, called me mom he, you it, know it's it, like yeah. it's almost as if your your mind was coping with all of that chaos and and stuff by you know not being able to come to terms with reality and and it was you know trying to make other leaps um, yeah. Make sense of it. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah. It's it, just awful. Yeah, and it was like you know, I just 
I ended up having to go see him because I still couldn't believe it. Like a week later when he, um, he ended up turning himself in three days later. And I still couldn't believe it. My family's like, no, you know, he did. And I'm like, no, no, he wouldn't do that. And, you know, it caused a lot of chaos in my family. Like, why do you want to go talk to him? Why do you want to go talk to him? And I'm just like, because I need to hear it from him. Did he show remorse? Did he admit what he had done? He admitted it, but he didn't have no remorse. He was more sad that he got caught. He just, he just didn't care. And, and it when I looked and and did a little bit of research, I saw that he, you know, went through a, the legal process and. Uh, got a, a, I guess, a plea of, of what twenty years sentence is what he's serving. Yeah, mm-hmm. just, yeah. Just you know, awful to to take a young person's life like that and and really only have a twenty year sentence out of it is, you know, as a, as a parent myself, I I can't imagine accepting that kind of term for for someone that took my child. But I do understand at the same time realistically that our legal system. To, to get a conviction to secure someone and make sure they they pay for what they have done. What was your opinion of, of that sentence, and did, did it kind of save you any trauma from a long, drawn-out uh, court proceeding? Um, well, you know, sometimes I wish we would have went to trial. I mean, it took two years to get him sentenced. But after losing a child, like, time doesn't flow the same way it normally does so even though it felt like a long time it also felt like a short time it was just weird but um sometimes I wish we would have went to trial because I have so many questions you know like about what happened that day and and why but then at the same time my family just wanted it to be over with so, so they could live and not have to see him anymore you know, because there's no closure. There is no closure. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, now you got your hearing with, over with. You're going to get closure. It's like, no, there's no closure because she's not here. So um, I was upset with how, the time frame that he got. But I'm also happy because our legal team was amazing. Even the defense, they, they did a great job. They never, you know, I was so scared that, you know, you see all these things on TV where the defense comes and they try to, they talk about the, the deceased in a disrespectful manner. No, these, these people were really great. They, they all respected everything about everyone in this. And, and I, was, I was happy. Like, we were a big part of everything that was happening. Everything was explained to us. Because I was upset when I found out he was, had to get a plea, or he was offered a plea. I wanted him to have, you know, I was like, oh, give him the death penalty. And they, they, they finally, they took us in, they explained statutes, they explained sentencing. And, you know, I left with more knowledge than what I went in with. And now I try to explain that to to other families who have to go through these, these proceedings. You know, it's not the defense's fault. It's not the judge's fault. It's not the prosecutor's fault. It's our statutes that fail everybody. They need to be updated because... It's just, it's lacking. It's really lacking. Sure. You said a couple really upsetting things that that were surprising and upsetting. One that when 
this happened to your daughter. The the person that did this, her her boyfriend, was supposed to be someone that uh, cared about her and would take care of her. Yet he did this. Was there any? It, it sounds like there was no warning sign or no history of of anything in his background that might say something like this is coming. Is that accurate? Um. Yeah. He was just. He was never. They never had any um, domestic abuse. One of her friends ended up telling me that um, before they moved in together, they were talking on FaceTime and and he told her, I, I don't know if she tried to break up with him or what was going on, but he told her he would kill himself if, if she ever tried to break up with him. So that was a warning sign. If I would have known that, I would have told her, you know, that's not something that normal people do. Sure. Any kind of he threat would, of violence to to her or to himself is, is a warning sign. Yeah. And, um, they had broken up while she was in California. So he was her ex-boyfriend at that time. And I think him mistreating Gizmo was his way of punishing her for breaking up with him. So that would have been, if I would have known that she just hadn't had time to tell me everything that was going on because she was on vacation. And I'm pretty sure if she would have, we would have sat down and talked about it. She would have explained it more, but we didn't have that chance. Sure. And and another thing that you said that was really disturbing to me that jumped out was the fact that that person saw her being dragged in by her hair and didn't call 911. I, I can't even imagine how how angry or, or, or you, you may have felt about that or maybe still do. I don't know. But I... I I just can't believe someone would see that and not call 911 and, and just remain anonymous, say, I don't want to be involved, but yeah. I see this going on. Do you feel that might have saved her life? Um, I don't think that might have saved her life because from what we heard, I'm pretty sure as soon as she was dragged into the apartment, her death happened within six minutes and the injuries were, were um, there was no way to save her. But it would have saved us from having to see her like that. And, you know, this woman wasn't just some random lady in the apartment complex. My daughter talked to her. My daughter knew about her life and, like, consider her a friend. That's why it's, it's, I'm just like, wow, you really, you can really do that to somebody, you know? And, you know, it's a high crime area and some people are scared. That's why now I, I started an organization that basically focuses in that area to try to help people not be scared because I don't want something like this to happen to anyone else. Sure, sure. And and that's actually something that I did want to talk to you about because you've sort of taken this terrible experience and turned it into something positive where you do some some good work to help others. Can you talk a little bit about that work that you do? Yeah, so I I never planned on doing anything like this. Um, after I got out of bed and everything and started living again, I got on social media and I had hundreds of messages from people, some just telling me their story about how they survived domestic violence, um, some asking for help, saying, I need to get out of this situation. And, you know, I was still in shock still numb to everything that was going on, not thinking clearly. And I began doing emergency removals for women where they would call me and say, Hey, can you help me leave? I need to leave my, my boyfriend just left the house and I need to get out of here. Or my husband just left and I need to get out of here. 
So I would go and I would pick them up and I would take them to a safe place. And um, I was doing this without anybody really knowing. And then one day my husband called me and he's like, what are you doing? And I told him and he's like, babe, what the heck? That's dangerous. And I said, well, somebody needs to do this. And he says, you know, he's worried. He's like, are you, you know, you may not be in the right mind. We need to talk. So we started talking about it. And he's like, so you're going to help people whether or not. I support you or not, huh? And I said, yeah, I am. And he says, well, I, I don't mind helping people. He says, but you got to do it in a safe way. So I was like, okay, fine. Let's talk about it. So we started talking about it and people contacted us and people, you know, there's this one, one girl, she says, I need, I need, I go, I'm going to court, but I don't have a support system and I'm scared. And I said, you know, I'll go with you. So I started going with her to court and another girl says, Hey, I, I'm trying to leave my husband, but I don't have rent for this month and if I could get rent for this month next month I'll have my own income because I'm starting my own home business and I'm just like huh well how can I do this you know I wasn't rich or anything and I didn't have money so I, I just posted on Facebook hey I have somebody that needs help leaving the situation so we had people donating money and um we helped her with her rent she's one of our success stories she has her own business she's she's been separated from her husband three years now I'm doing really well but you know so I'm just doing all this just regular and and then somebody tells me hey have you ever heard of a nonprofit organization I'm just like what is that I don't know what that is and they explained it to me and um so I was like huh maybe that's something I could do well a reporter because the reporter's talking about um court process and things like that and she's like well are you going to do a nonprofit? And I said, yeah, I'm going to try. I was like, I don't know. I don't know these things. You know, I don't, I don't have a college degree. I barely have a DED. I don't know these things. I said, but I'm going to try. So I started getting library books and things, learning about it. And then the, the reporter contacted me and she says, I have a local CPA that will, that will donate their time and help you get this nonprofit started. So I was like, okay, good. So she, she did that for us. And I'm just like, okay, wow, what am I going to do next? So, I had to come up with a plan of what we were doing. So I figured peer-to-peer support, you know, people don't want professionals in their business. They want people who've been in their shoes or people that are in their, that are in the situations they're in to talk to and to give them to support, give them support and help them figure out things on their own. So that's what we started doing. That's, that's what our organization does. We offer peer support in any way necessary. We go to these high crime neighborhoods, we talk to people about life skills, about coping skills, about ways to deal with life without violence on, on, you know, and how to be a community and and hold it together and love each other and calling 911 if they see somebody in danger. You know, it's like somebody has to do it because if you're sitting there waiting for someone else to do it, that someone else may not do it. So you should be the one to do it. You know, you, you could save somebody. Um, we do support groups. We do uh, mediation, mentoring. Um, you know, we do a lot, and and it's hard because none of us have degrees and things like this. So we're learning as we go. I recently got accepted to a national women of color leadership program out of California. So I'm learning the basics of being an executive director, but at the same time, I'm I'm in the mix doing all the work of an advocate I'm doing, I'm working many hats in this, in this organization because we only have seven volunteers. So, and only two of us, well, three of us are advocates that actually 
go and work with clients. We also do work with uh, with perpetrators if they're interested, and we try to help them learn better coping skills. And you know, my husband's a mentor to men that that want to do better. Like we've had people that say, "Hey, we, you know, I'm upset with my wife and I, I'm angry," and he'll they'll call him and they'll talk to him and he'll he'll just give them the support they need and help them talk it down. And and you know, we've had many success stories about that doing that process we also um you know we just do a little bit of everything because that's all we can do but yeah that's basically the organization is there do you have any kind of website for where people can learn more about it or or check it out yeah it's www.justice for it's the number four rosada.org so j-u-s-t-i-c-e is the number four r-o-s a-U-R-A.org. No, it's it's great to hear something so good come out of something so awful. You know, obviously nothing will bring your daughter back, but just having, uh, knowing that you're helping someone else, it sounds like something she would approve of and something she might be involved in. So I think you're really yeah. on, honoring her memory in that way. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and sharing uh, what you've been through and and your daughter's story with us. It's, it's very tragic. And I hope that someone out there listening uh, to this episode, hears something that you've, you've talked about or said, and maybe it helps them in, in some way. Thank you. Me too. Thank you once again for joining me for this episode of the murder of my family. I'd like to thank Sonny Landon for writing and research assistance in this episode. As we wrap up, I'd like to play a preview for a true crime podcast called Yield Crime. Be sure to give it a listen. We'll be back here soon with an all-new episode of The Murder of My Family, and I hope you'll join me for it. But before you go, remember that every murder victim means something to somebody. Do you love true crime but are looking for something different? It sounds like a sitcom. It does. The Benders. The kind of assholes you should probably leave them alone. Do you like learning about cases so off the wall they can't possibly be true? Her wig is enormous, but it is lifted off her head by a monkey. Do you love history, but want to hear about what they didn't teach you in school? It's just got a almost where you hang your horns sign. (laughs) Do you like laughing awkwardly about cases that are bizarre and a little strange? They'd be able to wield so many knives with all of their little arms. Then we have the podcast for you. Join me, Lindsay. And me, Madison, for Ye Old Crime. Where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. Listen every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. <laughs>